Uh, this story caught my eye because maybe it's suggesting that hitting the pause button and keeping your kids where they are at home learning remotely is a better way to go. This was from the Globe and Mail. The headline is variant that emerged in parallel with vaccines poses a different kind of COVID-19 threat, experts warn. So according to this article, a slight but curious decline in the prevalence of known variants of concern in Ontario's latest COVID-19 epidemiological report has some infectious disease experts saying that the province should be prepared for the rise of a more tenacious version of the coronavirus. I know this is not what you want to hear. Look at, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what this Globe and Mail report is uh, saying. They say that the, uh, as of this this epidemiological report that was released on Monday shows that in all cases that have been genetically tested, the uh, fraction that were caused by the known variants of concern has leveled off after a three-month rise and appears to be trending downward in mid-May. You might think that's a good news story. The three variants, of course, that we've been testing for are the UK variant. What's that, Omega? No, that's Alpha now. South Africa, Beta, and Brazil, I think is Gamma. Gabba Gabba Yaya? No, that's something totally different. Um, But that these are the only ones that we're genetically testing for, but that there is something darker afoot possibly, that there is something essentially displacing the known variants of concern. And because we're testing for it, we can't identify it. Andrew MacArthur is a researcher specializing in the genomics of viruses at McMaster University. We've invited him onto the show and he has so graciously accepted. Thank you for being here, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So can you, you know, explain what the theory is about this possible variant of concern? Yeah, we're sort of in round three of the pandemic. The first round was that first wave where there were a few mutations that the virus adapted to be in human beings. Uh, And then we saw, you know, November, December, January, the variants of concern that had some commonalities to them. uh, And they, you know, came from three different places and spread globally. And and in particular, the 117 became a concern for us. We thought, you know, maybe that was the one trajectory to make a variant of concern. What's happened in India with the 617.2 is the virus has found another sort of evolutionary path to become a variant of concern that opens up new options. Uh, It's really, you know, things are horrible there. It's really early for teasing apart, but it does seem at least equal or greater in transmission than the 117 from the UK. It does a small ding on the vaccines, not enough really to to concern us, uh, but we don't know if it's increasing in in death rates. Uh, In Ontario, right, we had a frontline affordable uh, assay for looking for the original variants of concern. So we don't have an assay yet for the new one give it a week or two. Ontario is very good at this, but we are performing genomic surveillance that can find all of them. So Public Health Ontario actually does have very good information on the prevalence of 617.2, and I expect we'll hear from that this week. Okay. I want to go backwards if I could. Did you say we don't have an assay for that? And if so, what is that? Yeah. So, you know, when we take a a swab up your nose, we use PCR to find out whether you're infected or not. We can use different flavors of of PCR to say, hey, do you have the 117 from the UK or do you have the 351 from South Africa, for example? Uh, Ontario is uh, a big innovator on building these assays. Uh, Each time a new variant came, they quickly brought that assay. So I expect we will do the same uh, for the 617.2. But behind all that, we do genomic surveillance, where we do more than just a simple test of the swab. We sequence the genome of that pathogen that's infecting the the patient. 
Uh, Ontario and the federal government have invested a huge amount of infrastructure. So while that was difficult early in the pandemic, this is becoming very effective at this stage. So really they're relying less and less on frontline assays and they are sequencing the whole genome so they understand the virus completely. So the surveillance landscape is probably at the best it's been for Ontario. And as I said, they have a good sense of where this new variant is in our province. So currently we don't have a test for the Indian variant. Is that what you're telling me? We don't have the simple, cheap frontline one, again, yeah. probably a week or two before that's validated in place, but in ways that's less important than it used to be because the province is doing genomic sequencing surveillance, uh, which is uh, just as powerful and actually gives you more information. And what, do we, what have we learned about the Indian variant as uh, when you compare it to the um, alpha, beta, gamma variants coming from elsewhere. Um, yeah, is the so mutation different? When the UK underwent its crisis, when, you know, the alpha came out, um, it took, you know, about a month to tease apart all the factors to figure out what was contributing to increased transmission, increased death. Because of course, when numbers get high, you have delayed surgeries and many other things that are contributing to, to death and illness. Uh, they knew fairly early that it was more transmissible. We do know that from this, the variant, the 617.2, that it is at least as transmissible, if not more than the one that the UK did with. But we're really early in that math of teasing apart whether there's more to it, whether it, it increases uh, severe illness or increases mortality. Um, the key thing is, of course, we're in a very different place. In January, we had no vaccination in place. Now we have first dose in high numbers, second dose rolling out. Uh, and so uh, while the virus has changed the landscape, so have we. Uh, and so uh, things are actually, uh, I would say, in, in our court now, we are the ones with the advantage because of vaccination. Was it a positive? Well, you know, if what we're hearing from sources that the government, the provincial government probably won't be calling kids back to the classrooms actually comes to fruition. We're waiting for a final word on that definitive word today at one o'clock. If they don't, if the province doesn't call kids back to the return of classrooms for the final weeks of the term, is this actually the way to go when we're talking about this uh, other variant that's looming? Is this a, a, the better approach to take? It's a tough call. I think the science table's overall message is right that we're not all the way for vaccination. We won't be till the end of the summer. So we're at this in-between stage and the new variants make it even more difficult to make a decision. Uh, the science table is very clear. We can't open everything else. We need to open one segment at a time, watch what happens and, and move cautiously. And I'm, it sounds like the Ford government's going to do just that. Okay. Then the difficult choice of which one's first. The evidence is strong that, that schools is a, is a lesser concern, but you can't underestimate you know, unemployment, uh, the lack of sick days, there's really only three. Uh, there's a lot to be balanced here. I'm just essentially glad that we're not taking the strategy we took at the end of the second wave by opening too much and, and, and too early. So slow and steady wins the race in this situation. Slow and and steady it is wins a race. The race and let those vaccines hit you know, and get your second dose as soon as you can. Andrew, uh, when do you... Uh, do you... I uh, think that we should be even looking to move up the dose of that second dose. I know we're looking at 12 weeks now. Uh, is there any sort of research or um, uh, any kind of uh, stats on if it should be, you know, moved up to eight weeks if we could do that? Yeah, the data, certainly the 12 weeks, you know, originally it was a 
roughly a four week was the idea. We realized that from, from supply chain, that was not possible, but then the data supported that 12 weeks was excellent. Uh, the data that, you know, of any less effectiveness at eight weeks is, is, is not a big deal. I think the eight to 12 week window seems excellent. You know, these vaccines just are extremely good at reducing severe illness. So people are in the hospital. So I'm comfortable with that eight to 12 week window, but the data is even excellent for earlier than that. It really has to come down with, you know, supply management of, of one, but also to make sure the most vulnerable get it, that, that it's really an equitable dis distribution of vaccines. We are still not getting unlimited supply. So, uh, you know, we have difficult decisions to make. Andrew, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much.